Welcome back to the Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lenehan, and I'm excited to be sharing this episode in partnership with one of my oldest work collaborators, Primark, or for those of you listening in Ireland, Pennies. I took a major turn in my career a few years ago when I realised the harmful impact fashion was having on our environment. I'm proud of the work Primark is doing to help initiate systemic change in the industry, and I'm delighted to help them spread the word on the plans that they have made to redefine what affordable, more sustainable products means to everyone over the next eight years and beyond. When it comes to creating manageable and meaningful change at a grand scale, sometimes the businesses you least expect can be the most forward-thinking. Q. Jane Abernethy, Chief Sustainability Officer at HumanScale. Having begun her career as a designer, Jane recognised how design could directly impact both human and environmental health. At HumanScale, an award-winning designer of ergonomic office furniture, Jane has helped redefine the furniture industry standard when it comes to materials, waste management and energy usage. Jane shares her own career journey and offers invaluable insight into how large-scale businesses can change course to become leaders in sustainability. Thank you so much for listening, futurists. If you enjoy this episode, please like, subscribe, share it with a friend and do leave me a review. Over to my conversation with Jane. Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. I was just telling you that before I joined this call, I had the chance to read your CSO report, which was honestly so inspiring. So I'm so excited to talk to you about everything that you're doing today at Human Skills. First of all, can you let people know a little bit about the company and what your role is at Human Scale? Mm-hmm. Yes, and thank you very much for having me. It's great to, to be here on the conversation. Um, so Human Scale is the premier manufacturer of office ergonomic equipment. And so that our focus as a company is around keeping the, the human body in a healthy body posture, adjusting the technology to our bodies instead of the other way around. And in practice, we see a lot of folks like, hunching over laptops, you know, sitting in very awkward positions, which leads to musculoskeletal issues and you know, repetitive work uh, strain issues um, on our bodies. And I think a lot of us, especially as we started working from home, where we don't have the optimal setups, we've been feeling this sort of neck pains and back pains. And that's some, those are some of the things that we've been focused on, on eliminating and, and, and having people work in a healthy body posture. So it's really nice to start off working for a company where our goal is to keep people healthy and you know make people's lives a little bit better. Uh, in their everyday life but it's like something that everyone is now so focused on like pre-pandemic I don't think any of us thought twice about our home setup or about what we were sitting on or what desks we were using but you're so right it's just something that's affected everyone I think there was probably so much of a scramble to just get any kind of home setup done but now that the reality is that like it's looking like a lot of us are going to have either a hybrid situation or be working from home a lot more it's definitely something that everyone needs to invest in. So on a very practical level, what the company is doing is making these really amazing ergonomic office chairs, but your corporate social responsibility and how you've managed to create this really forward-thinking company is so exciting. You know, it's not something that comes to mind when you think of chairs, you you think of the materials, plastic and everything. Tell me a little bit about your role because what you've achieved so far is so exciting. And I know that's down to what you've brought to to human scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. I started off as an industrial designer, so I was actually on the design team. And that was my last design job uh, before moving directly into sustainability, like full-time focus on sustainability. And I, even as a designer, I was always quite um, aware of of sustainability. The idea that 
you know, as, a, as an industrial designer, someone who designs for mass production, designs products there, those designers who are making those decisions could decide, for example, maybe what kind of plastic to use or what shapes it would be to determine how much plastic would end up being used. Or, or there's a lot of decisions that, that get made in the new product development process. And those get repeated, could be thousands of times a year, could be hundreds of thousands of times a year over many years in mass production. So when I was a designer, I always sort of thought about that and thought of the responsibility, you know, the environmental impact of, of one purchasing decision as a consumer is, is something, but as, you know, the decision as, as a designer, this is exponential in the impact that it could have. So that's something I'd always looked into and always thought about, and I was quite vocal about it until eventually at Humans Gale asked me to do, um, lead a project in sustainability, which, which grew into a department um, and influences how we operate as a company. And this is something that has been a really interesting journey. I'd say our CEO and founder, Bob King, has always had an interest in sustainability, and that's something that's near and dear to his heart. And so he was quite receptive to the idea of going in this direction, to taking on some of these challenges, to looking at things in a different new way. That's also something that's embedded into human skills culture of you know, we really have a the innovation, looking at things in a new way, sort of challenging the status quo. That's something that's deeply embedded into our culture to start off with. So when I took the sustainability lens you know, and started to push that, it really um, had a good uh, grounds to, to, to grow in and, and really did flourish to a, a program that, that influences all parts of our company. And that's where we're at now, which is very exciting, is you know, I, I have a team of people that work with me. And we work with our new product development team. We work with our sourcing teams, we work with each of our factories, we work with our executives to set direction, we work with you know the sales teams to make sure that what we're talking about and communicating is, is accurate and, and with our marketing teams. So it's really, we're a relatively small team, but we're kind of like an octopus where we reach deeply into all different areas of the company. And it's, it's been really interesting to, to shift how we operate and become more and more sustainable every year. Well, it's so exciting to hear that a CEO has that passion already, because I think the challenge for a lot of people is that they're working in companies where maybe people aren't really aware of sustainability or aren't sure where to start, or there's a lot of blocks. So even though people have really good ideas, they maybe don't have somebody in charge who can activate them or say, okay, you go ahead and and get going on it. So it's really exciting that they had that vision and, and I guess enabled you to get going. But even so, I mean, what you said there is like it has to touch every aspect of the company. And I think so many of us now are trying to decide for which companies are greenwashing and which ones are actually, you know, looking at this as a, as a holistic issue. So even though you had the green light from the CEO and you were super enthusiastic yourself, how do you begin to infiltrate all areas of a company? Because, you know, everybody does a collection or does a campaign, but it's really different when you have to deal with, like you said, every single team. How do you get them excited and activated? Because it's a lot of extra work. And I think that's how sometimes people think of it is, oh, this is something extra, or I have to undo something that I've been doing for years. So how did you approach that? Or how do you approach that in your daily work? Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the, the challenges that we do face on a regular basis. Um, and I think the first thing I would think is that we know the end goal is to influence all parts of the company, change the direction of the overall company uh, and how we're operating. If that's what we know we're trying to do. We're not going to start from that from day one. That's a, it's a journey to get there. And I started in my official role leading sustainability was actually uh, 2012. So I've been at it in human scale for 10 years and this is where we're at now. So it's not day one. We can't just tell everyone to change everything. I think 
I think that would be very ineffective and frustrating for everyone and it would be hard to manage. So what I've usually tried to do is um, take on something that's quite uh, manageable and meaningful. So manageable and that we can really actually accomplish it uh, and we can feel and meaningful so that we can feel good about accomplishing it. And then, you know, bring the team along with me so that we all, I can never usually change things completely by myself as we all can if we're looking at changing systems and changing how things happen. We usually are working with others. So then we start to get those people engaged in some of these projects. Um, and then I've noticed when people get engaged in projects and they work out well and they're successful, they're more likely to, to be more open to that next project. And so then we build um, you know, more momentum and more motivation. And then eventually we start to change how people see their jobs and how they see the company and how they see themselves. And instead of thinking of this as, you know, this is an extra thing I need to do, or this isn't, you know, I always used to do it that way. That's the way to do it. They start to see things a little differently and they start to be a little bit more open to change. Uh, they start to see it as part of the, their, their actual job, not as a, an extra that doesn't need to be done that someone else is asking them for. It starts to change kind of how business is run. And that's really fundamental is if it's considered part of the job and just this is how we do it, not an extra thing that's optional, then that's where, where we really want to get to. Along the same, you know, while, while being on that journey, I've really worked very hard to try to understand the systems that are in place so that we can ask for the least amount of change possible so that, you know, if you have a system that's working very well, maybe we only need to change it ever so slightly so that the impacts are completely different. Um, you know, if we have, for example, let's say we wanted to train our people about a certain, um, you know, diverting waste. Well, if they already have a training scheduled every Monday anyway, maybe we can just go into one of those trainings and we don't have to, you know, set up a whole other system and do a whole other, um, you know, set of communications and everything. So I've, I've tried to work with the existing systems as much as possible, understand them and, and um, influence them to be as similar to what people are already doing, but where, where a small change can be as effective as possible. Oh, I think that is literally like the takeaway so far, like manageable and meaningful is such an awesome way to come at it because you're right. If you can get the small wins, that really is what gets people enthusiastic for maybe the more challenging things. So I love that. I'm going to maybe write that down <laughs> for you. So in terms of then the things that have been meaningful and manageable, what have been some of the most impactful changes that you've been able to help implement at human scale? One of the first things we did was pursue level certification, which is a furniture certification of sustainability. That was fairly extensive. And so it involved a number of different departments. And that was something that we expected to take around 18 months and we completed it in eight months. And that was, um, it was exciting because there were a lot of different people working together on it. And it was very successful because we finished it a lot earlier than expected. We did very well in that. We learned a lot about, uh, you know, benchmarking of how we're doing for greenhouse gases and energy use and a lot of different areas that we, we learned a lot about. So that also started the conversation with a number of different departments. And then we took on something a little more ambitious, which was to install solar power on our main manufacturing site. And it was the largest um, solar power system that we could legally install. We, we couldn't get a permit for a larger one. And um, so that was another, it was a slightly larger project, but it also worked out well. Um, it got, you know, our factory very aware of uh, our sustainability initiatives because, of course, there's this construction project happening over top of their heads um, on the roof. And um, it was 
it, it became kind of a very clear symbol that people could see it happening. We also did an interesting thing where we had a camera um, do stop motion where we took a photo every five minutes of the production. So anyone while they're in the factory kind of seeing like, how is it going up there? They could just put on, they could see exactly what was happening and, and kind of see that, that in practice. Um, so that was, a, that was one where it was really a big project. It uh, turned out very well. It's operating now for eight years. And that, I think, led us to some larger conversations around what are we doing in operations in a bigger way. It led us to looking at um, our waste in a deeper way. That's been a big, big effort. And this year, we're, we're right now going through a zero waste certification for all of our factories. But some of the um, initial changes led to some of the it led to taking on some of the bigger changes that then led to setting up some other programs as well. Those are all incredible. And I love that you got your certification ahead of time. I've worked on some certifications and they can be so lengthy and difficult, especially when you're dealing with different suppliers. The fact that you did that in eight months rather than 18 is amazing. I might come back to you for some tips how you achieve that. In terms of the certifications, is that something now that you think consumers are becoming a little bit more savvy about and that they're actually looking for? Or has it just been beneficial for you guys in terms of internally getting to those benchmarks? Because like I think there's a great value in certification and it is kind of a seal of approval. And I think it can be a really good shorthand for consumers. But in terms of, of your business, is it something that people are now interested in or what do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with what you, the way you positioned it, the way you described it is that, is that that's exactly it. It's kind of like a shorthand for this is what it means. If it's you know, Energy Star, you know that it's a certain amount of efficiency. If it's FSC, you know, the wood is, you know, responsibly managed. Uh, and then there are different certifications that, of course, mean different things. So you can you can look at that and have a certain level of confidence that there's some a certain amount of work that's gone in, that there's a, a, been a verification, an auditor has come and audited, and, and you know there's a certain amount of truth that, to that. I think there's also you know people are becoming more skeptical, and and I I welcome that. I think we should be skeptical about a lot of claims that the companies make. It's really easy to make a very big statement and and say we're very sustainable. And, and you know, we believe we're doing the best ever and our products are amazing and in our opinion. So that's I think a very easy statement to me. Um, to have some some third-party audited is quite a bit more robust and quite a bit more work. And we do also find, at least I find the benefit of, of meeting some of these standards as well as we often learn along the way. So that's really helped our program become stronger and stronger. So if people are looking, and I do see in the marketplace, people are looking for certifications, both for that level of confidence. And then also to know know what that means. There's so many different statements that are being made that it's hard to know that they're robust. It's hard to know what they're referring to. Is if you recognize a certification, you know what it stands for, then you have a little bit of confidence on what that on the level of the quality of the information and and what it's talking about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's going to be a powerful tool as we move forward. In terms then of the materials, let's get down to talking about this because it's so fascinating. Obviously, now a lot of people are becoming very interested in, you know, the materials that their clothing is made of. And, you know, previously to that, people would have been really interested in sourcing where their food came from. I definitely feel like as a co-founder of an interiors website, there is now a shift towards like, what is my furniture made of? Where does it come from? What's going to happen when it comes to the end of its life cycle? So maybe can you shed a little bit light on the whole materials issue? You know, when it's something that's very new for people, why should they care about what their the stuff in their home is made from? Right. Yeah, it's something that a lot of us are not thinking about or, or maybe are just starting to think about. Um, and if you when you stop and look around at you know if you're if you're indoors and 
the EPA, which is a U.S., of course, um, organization, but I think it's probably some of the stats are going to be relatively similar for a lot of other countries like Canada, where I'm based, and, and Ireland as well might not be too different. They have a stat showing they studied that people um, spend on average over 90% of their time in the indoor environment. And, you know, you think about sleeping and commuting and working and you just think about where we spend our time. Um, you know, if you think of your personal, how your life plays out, probably a lot of it is in the indoor environment. And then you look around all the objects that surround you and the materials they're made up of. They're not, the majority of them are not natural materials. They're usually manufactured materials. All of those materials are made up of a recipe that to go in the recipe for that nylon, the recipe for that, you know, steel and aluminum. They all have a, a series of different material uh, ingredients going up to make those materials. And of course, all those ingredients are meant to stay in the products, but they don't stay there. They're, when we're surrounded by all of these manufactured goods, the ingredients of them start to affect our bodies and start to affect our health. And so then we need to start paying attention to what is going into the environments that surround us. Um, there are quite a number of, of chemicals of concern, some of them carcinogens, some of them different types of toxins um, that are still legally used in, in products um, all the time. And so the regulations vary from, from country to country and from region to region. I don't think there's anywhere that has a fixed precautionary principle. So for food and drugs and things that go into your body, it's the onus is on the manufacturer of the, of the food or the drugs to prove that it's safe before they put it in the marketplace. And so that, um, you know, there's sort of quite a bit more testing that goes into that. Whereas with manufactured goods and products, it's up to the regulations to prove that it's unsafe. So they can make a new chemical. There's not very many regulations around putting it out into the world. And then it has to be proven unsafe before it gets removed from the marketplace. Some things take many, many years to get removed, like lead. They knew it was unsafe, and it was 60-some years before it had to be removed from the marketplace. Um, that was removed from 60-some from years before it was removed from gasoline. I think it was around 13 or 15 years before they removed it from paint. So even when we know things are an issue, um, it can take many years before it's you know, the, re the regulations catch up. So one thing we've done as a, as a corporation of manufacturer of goods is we said, we're going to proactively understand all the ingredients in our products. We're going to identify which ones are chemicals of concern, like those carcinogens, reproductive toxins, um, you know, all the different neurotoxins, all the different types of of chemicals of concern, and we're going to eliminate them. And there are some, there are a few different lists of chemicals of concern. We follow the red list by the International Living Future Institute. It, um, it overlaps, the, over, the lists overlap um, quite a lot, but not perfectly. So it overlaps very closely with the substances of very high concern list in REACH, uh, from REACH, which is the European initiative. Um, and we have published the ingredients of all of our products. And, and we publish that, you know, globally. So if you want to know if you're in Europe and you want to see if you have any substances of very high concern, we, we have the products listed and highlighting if there are ever any, um, any of those substances, although we, we systematically eliminate them so you might not see any of them on the, on the ingredients labels. But we feel this is very important that when people buy a product, they should be able to know what's in that product. They should be able to make an informed decision. 100%. I think it's such an, an amazing idea that, you know, everything we buy should come with a tag. And if everything that we that we invested in had a tag telling us who it was made by, where it's come from, what it includes, like what you were saying earlier is so interesting. Like we think about what's in our food or maybe in our drugs, but 
our the things that we're touching and interacting with every single day also have ingredients and so many of them are unhealthy and unsafe. Can you see like a future where that will become a more common conversation and eventually all companies will be asked to remove those or people will demand that they know what's in stuff. So again, they can make that choice and avoid stuff because at the moment it kind of feels like it's a free for all. It's not regulated and so many people are just picking up stuff and not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting closer and closer to that future because I'm seeing the conversation happening more and more. Um, so a lot of us are, could be at the very beginning part of that conversation where we're just starting to think about it or we haven't thought about it yet. And maybe this listening to this podcast will highlight that for us. But but I've also seen a lot of more times that I'm getting that question asked from our customers and our clients. And, and um, to me, that's that's quite encouraging to see that people are starting to look more into it, they're starting to ask that question more and more. We, we often sell to architects and interior designers who are pursuing green building certifications. And some of those certifications, like LEED and GREEM and WELL, um, some of those certifications have started to incorporate credit points for using healthy materials or avoiding some of the chemicals of concern. So that, that gives it sort of systematically some recognition of having made a better choice. So some of these things are starting to take place, which I think is quite encouraging. And then in terms of stuff that you decide you either want to eliminate or replace, does that mean that you rely on technology to replace those? Or does it mean that you're going back to more natural materials and kind of undoing what's happened over the last, you know, 50 years where a lot of things would have been a lot of natural materials and then it kind of went so far into plastics and synthetics? Is it kind of going back that way or are you actually using technology to create new, safer innovations? It's really a case-by-case situation. So depending on the product, we work with the R&D team to develop a solution that's ultimate to that. Um, some of them can be um, much simpler and kind of more of the going back to keeping things more simple that you're referencing. And one example is that we had, um, when we did a deep dive into our products, we found, into all finding all the ingredients, we found there was a stain-resistant coating on our textiles that we'd not asked for. It was just so commonly done that the mills put it on without even mentioning to us. They just said, that's how you finish a textile. They didn't even ask if we wanted it. And that chemistry is called PFAS or sometimes called PFC. A type of chemistry is a non-stick and like Teflon would be a trade name of that chemical family. Um, we didn't use Teflon exactly, but it's the same kind of family. Um, and so we were looking at how do we have a different stain resistant coating that's not from that chemical family. We did a lot of research and there was not another kind of chemistry that would adhere to our textiles that you know, provided that stain resistance. And, um, you know, we, we were thinking about do we develop new chemistry and that can cost millions of dollars and, and take many, many years. And it was, it was quite a challenge. And then the textile designer, she asked a really good question and she said, our textiles are, de- are designed to last quite a long time, like about five times the industry average. So we have really durable textiles. We want to make sure that when we sell a chair, it looks good day one and that it also looks good year 10. So we want to make sure that our textiles are very durable. And so she said, we know that we have the standard, we call it a wise and deep double rub test where they, they test the durability by rubbing two pieces of fabric together. Um, we know it's very durable from that standard durability test. How long does the coating stay on the fabric? And so we, we developed the test with the lab where they stopped the durability test every few cycles and they did the stain resistance tests. And we found you know, our textiles will last to, you know, many years worth of use, probably 10 to 15 years worth of use and still look very good. 
if not new, um, that the coating was coming off in what would be the equivalent of maybe six to eight months worth of use of the product. So it was just wearing off very quickly. Um, and so we thought, well, actually, the coating is not even on the product from pretty much the whole life of the product. It's not functional. And um, so we made a stop and, and, and sort of step back and we realized we should probably just not put it on there because it's not really providing an, a functionality for almost the whole time that that product is being used. And then the next question, of course, we have to ask ourselves is where is that coating going when, when it's being rubbed off? And of course, you know, maybe it's becoming dust and accidentally being ingested or getting stuck to people's clothes and they're taking it home with them. So, so that was a, um, an, air, an area we thought was very urgent to not use that coating anymore, as well as the solution seemed to be something very simple, which was just to not use it. And so we worked with our mills and told them you know, to, to not, just no longer put that coating on. We've done that, I think that's six years ago now that we eliminated that coating. And, and we've had no issues uh, since then. So that was a very simple solution. Um, conversely, we sometimes have found that when we have a chemical concern, you know, we had Chrome 6 that we found. Again, a supplier was using a Chrome 6 coating. We had not specified Chrome 6 as a reproductive toxin and carcinogen. Um, and we were able to get them to change their equipment and change their processing so that they could use Chrome 3, which is has no um, uh, health impacts and no environmental um, uh, concerns. It sounds like a similar uh, chemical, but the shape of the molecule is completely different and the impacts are very different. So that was another case where we actually changed the material to something else. You know, did this cycle testing, um, which you know, in and of itself was months of work of just cycle testing to make sure the product is still going to meet that same performance criteria. We have a 15-year warranty on our chair, so we have to make sure they still meet that performance criteria. And then when we made that change, it wasn't just for us. They changed their equipment, so now those are being offered. That's now their standard for all the rest of the, the customers they have as well. So when we're looking at that, changes in mass production, these really start to be exponential in, in the impacts of when we're starting to make change. Um, so just to say that every time we find a chemical concern and we need to change it, it is an R&D project. It's a series of, of negotiations with the suppliers. It is a significant amount of work. And that's why we're so proud to say that we have eliminated all of Chrome 6 from all of our products. And we, we examined thousands of materials and hundreds of suppliers We've eliminated all PFC, those PFAS, stain-resistant coatings, all of that chemistry from all of our products. Uh, we've eliminated PVC from all our products except legacy electronics. Um, we've eliminated BPA from all of our products. So year, every year we've targeted sort of our last, you know, next um, ingredient to, to eliminate. We're down to just a couple of different changes that need to be made. But each of these changes could end up being, you know, a, a couple of years worth of work. So it's a significant. Um, uh, we're very proud to, to be able to make these broad sweeping statements because there's a lot of work that goes behind it. It's so much work. I can't even imagine. But what I love from your stories there is that really a lot of it comes down to just asking the questions like that designer asking more like how act, how functional and how necessary is this? And then discovering that actually it's not necessary at all, necessary at all. I think mm -hmm. that's so empowering for people to hear that, you know, a lot of the time, We've just accepted these things into our daily lives and we actually don't even need them. They've just become part of production or they've just become the norm. And actually, even for the manufacturers to step back and be like, wow, we, there's an alternative here that we can use. It's it's a great result and we don't need it. I think that's such an empowering, uh, empowering thought that like not everything needs to be started from scratch. Sometimes it's just about scaling back. Um, 
in terms of scaling back and scaling up, I, I could talk to you all day about the CSR report, but I just want to read a couple of the things that stood out in terms of waste, water and biodiversity. So in terms of your waste, all of your factories globally now divert over 90% of waste by reducing recycling or finding innovative uses from materials that would otherwise be sent to landfills. In water, all of your factories are using 100% captured rainwater for production. And like you've just been talking about, there's no chemicals of concern to treat the water. And all of your factories have developed and implemented a landscaping plan to support native wildlife and biodiversity. That I, Can you imagine if every company in the world was doing that? where we would be at. I honestly just want to congratulate you and the team. I think that is such an inspiring thing to read and so awesome to think that a really big company like yours can actually achieve that. And in particular, I want to talk about the waste because that is such a big issue at the moment. How do you take such a big production line and get down to diverting over 90% of waste? And I know that's not a sound bite or something you can really describe, but that is such a huge achievement. How long has it taken you to get to that point? To me, one of the interesting challenges with waste is that unlike something that takes installing infrastructure, like a solar power system, you know, it's a big project to install it, but once it's installed, we're not on a daily basis needing to do anything to make sure it's operating. See, even with the captured rainwater, you know, we, the pipes are all installed, it's flowing from the right place. You periodically have to check things, um, but on a daily basis, it's, it's, it's installed and that's, that's kind of done. Whereas waste, it takes a cultural change. It takes everyone working at the factory with an item in their hand needing to dispose of it to stop and think a slightly differently. And it's not a massive change for any individual person, um, but it is a, a small change for hundreds and hundreds of people. And that's, um, you know, there's chain turnover, there's, um, there's a lot of things happening, there's change in the factory. So that's, that's been a really interesting challenge. It's taken us a lot longer because it's a cultural change and it's a, an ongoing, uh, we are constantly creating that um, and training and constantly needing to make sure that we're keeping going in that direction because there are so many people involved in, within that. So we started, um, we've been looking at waste for a number of years. We, we really started focusing on it a lot in 2016, and we upped our recycling. I think we, we doubled our waste diversion in 2016, and we actually won an award um, in New Jersey at that point. And I think at that time, we were, we were diverting 68 or 70% of our waste from, from landfill. And we were quite happy with that at the time, but we continued to improve up until 20, 2020, I believe it is, that we we diverted over 90% of our waste from landfill. We continue to increase. We're currently right now being audited for zero waste for all of our factories. So that's where we're at now. And, and, and with, with being at zero waste needs a lot more things in place. So we have regular training. We have a, a monthly meeting with each of our factories about how they're diverting waste. They're auditing their waste um, every, you know, regularly, every two weeks they're auditing their waste to see making sure that the right things are going in the right place or something's not going in the right place, figuring out why. We also have you know, reached back to our suppliers to figure out what do they not need to send us that would, was then going to eventually turn into waste. Um, what can we reuse? What can we recycle? So it's it's been systematically kind of piece by piece setting up the program, starting with a lot of training, a lot of cultural change, looking at the flow of material, and then really evaluating it again and again. So we'll evaluate it and find room for improvement. Then we go back and evaluate it again and see more room for improvement. And it's just those incremental 
you know, shifts in making things better and better that gets you closer and closer to that zero waste status. So that's what we're currently being um, audited to right now. I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to achieve it. And for anyone who's interested, I would highly recommend going and reading the report because it's extensive. And like I said, we could do a whole other conversation on what's in it. But honestly, Jane, thank you so much for the time and the insight today. I think it's such a great snapshot of what you guys are doing and more food for thought for people in terms of what materials they use in their home and the furniture. Congratulations on everything you're doing. And uh, let's catch up maybe again next year when you achieve zero waste and you can tell us all about that. It's been a great conversation. 